Hi, this is Joe Montana. This is Dak Prescott. Hey, this is Jason Kelsey, and you're listening to Rob Motti. Rob Motti. Rob Motti. I am Rob Motti, and welcome to the AP Pro Football Podcast. We have another all-star lineup for you as we head into week 11 of the NFL season. Two-time All-Pro tight end, Super Bowl champion Travis Kelsey. He's going to be here to discuss his thoughts on the Raiders circling around Arrowhead Stadium after they beat the Chiefs earlier this season. He'll talk about playing with Patrick Mahomes, playing for Andy Reid, and his brotherly rivalry with Eagles three-time All-Pro center Jason Kelsey and much more. Carson Palmer, who was the number one overall pick in 2003 by the Bengals, he's going to join the show. Carson is very impressed with Joe Burrow, who was the number one overall pick this season by the Bengals. So stay tuned for that conversation. And my colleague, Barry Wilner, AP Pro Football Writer and Pro Football Hall of Fame voter, he's going to join me for our weekly chat. We'll kick it off with him. Barry, the NFL this week announced every team will enter the intensive protocol for COVID-19 because cases are rising. And as Roger Goodell outlined in his memo to the teams, the holidays are approaching and risk is going to go up. So far, only four teams haven't been in this intensive protocol at some point. So I think the teams know what it takes, what they have to do. I had heard some grumblings from some coaches, players about it being a competitive disadvantage if one team was in it and they were going to play a team that wasn't. So I asked Dr. Sills and Jeff Miller if that was a factor at all into this decision and putting all the teams into intensive protocol. They said no, it was strictly for health and safety, which obviously it makes sense. How do you feel about it? And the health reasons are obvious, but from a competitive standpoint, now all teams are going to be on an even playing field. So how do you feel about that? Yeah, I agree with that, that the um, even playing field is helpful. We knew all along that 2020 was not going to be fair um, in the way things wind up uh, in the schedule, the way things wind up in, in opponents and who you play and when you play them and what condition they're in. So it's just an adjustment that has to be made throughout the year for all the teams. No one should be complaining about competitive disadvantages when it comes to the coronavirus. And uh, even teams that may wind up having to play an extra week in January because maybe some games get postponed, they shouldn't be complaining about it. Uh, and I, you know, I think the NFL deserves a little bit of credit that they've gotten this far without but they've had one major outbreak, you know, with Tennessee, and they, and they actually handled that pretty decently. So I think we need to look at it from more of a positive side right now. But, you know, we're hitting into seven weeks that so we have no idea what this virus is going to be like. Yeah, like you said, they do deserve some credit because you've gotten to a point where you're 11 weeks in, and that in itself is a major accomplishment. So they've done a, a great job to get to this point. Barry, we had a weekend last week where not one result surprised me. Now, the way teams achieved that result, some of it was surprising, but the winners, they were all favorites except for Philly, but they're such a bad team, and a lot of us saw that coming. The Bills-Cardinals was the most exciting finish between two really good teams. I look at both sides in that game and go, well, Arizona's win – kind of legitimizes that team for me as a true contender in the NFC West, which is so tough, and we've talked about them all throughout the year. And the way the Bills played on the road, they played tough on the road, was very impressive. I think that's going to help them. How do you view both of these teams coming out of that game? Uh, It's almost the same way as you do. I actually viewed both of them going into the game as playoff teams. 
I think Arizona has something special going on there. I'm not saying they're a Super Bowl team right now, but they're building uh, in a really positive way. The offense is the kind that can carry a team if it needs to. The defense is not terrible. And and we see a team in that division in Seattle that has a terrible defense. Uh, and as for Buffalo, the best thing I say about Buffalo is these are the type of games that Buffalo would have lost or not played well in. And we're seeing them either win these games or play quite well in, in tough matchups uh, on the road. Uh, I think the Bills have to look over their shoulder, though, at Miami, which is one of the uh, hottest teams in the league and uh, seems to be nowhere near the peak of what it could be. Uh, there are a lot of people who think that the Bills might have peaked a little bit already. I think it's setting up for a very interesting December for sure because there's going to be a lot of teams competing for these playoff spots and some tough division outcomes left to be decided, including, as we always talk about, the NFC West. Rams beat the Seahawks 23-16. Russell Wilson had three more turnovers. He's got 10 in three losses over the last month, and he's never been a turnover machine. So I'll ask you, one, how good are the Rams, especially with their defense being as tough as it is? And two, is there any reason to be concerned about Russell Wilson, or do you think he's trying to do too much, putting a lot of pressure on himself? He's got weapons, so he shouldn't feel that way. Yeah, well, I'll take the uh, Seahawks first because Pete Carroll has said that uh, Russell is pressing, that he feels he has to do so much, and obviously that is because the defense really can't do much of anything. And Russell feels that he has to produce the wins himself. And the running game, the, the running backs have been hurt. So all of that has worked against uh, having Wilson play the way he normally uh, has in the past, and uh, that means him not turning the ball over. I think there's reasons for concern. I think Seattle will make the playoffs. But unless that defense improves uh, dramatically, uh, it won't be as a division champion. As for the Rams, they may be the most um, balanced team in that division, but of the quarterbacks, uh, between Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson and Jared Goff, I trust Goff the least. So uh, I'm not sure that Goff's capable of winning a big game. He needs so much help from other people on his team. I think Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson are capable of winning games as the main focal point. That's a good point. Yeah, I don't like Jared Goff as a, a guy. He's more to me the, the epitome of a game manager, a guy who's in a system that helps him thrive at times, but he's not going to, like you said, win you a game. Now, they got a tough matchup this weekend. I want to get to some of these. There's some great games on the schedule. Let's start out with the Titans visiting Baltimore. It's a playoff rematch. Tennessee won last year, obviously shut down Baltimore's hopes after they were the number one seed. There's two six and three teams, and the Ravens open up as a seven-point favorite. Now, the number's down to six and a half, but that's still a very high number for two teams with the same record. They're both struggling. Ravens lost to New England. They've lost two out of three. Titans are one and three since that 5-0 and start. I like the Ravens in uh, what I call, it's obviously a revenge game from the playoffs. They're a beat-up team, though. It's a, it's a tough call with that number. I like them to win, and, and I'll, I'll take them for the cover. What do you see in this game? I think it's going to be a close game, but I do like the Ravens. The Ravens played awful the other night, and 
they don't play awful two weeks in a row, especially in the regular season under John Harbaugh. Uh, they're too talented to play like that. They were psyched out by the weather. Uh, I still think New England's a very mediocre team. And uh, the way that the Ravens played, I, I think they're going to totally rally back from that. And, yeah, they're, they're a little undermanned, but um, so is uh, Tennessee. You know, both of these teams are struggling on the offensive line because of injuries. And that's more of a problem to me for Tennessee because uh, Lamar Jackson can create more than Ryan Tannehill can without having the blocking. Um, but then again, and then again, you know, Derrick Henry needs to be the, uh, the main guy on offense. And if he's not getting the blocking, that's a big problem for Tennessee. So I like Baltimore, but I think it'll be close. Here's another matchup between two division leaders. Seven and two Packers visit the six and three Colts, who they're coming off a Thursday night win against Tennessee. So they have an extra couple days to prepare for this matchup. Green Bay struggled to beat Jacksonville last week. That's not an indication, I don't think, of the Packers being on any kind of decline. I think maybe it was just a trap game, a look-ahead game. Colts are a a one-and-a-half-point favorite, two points, one point in some places. They're the only team in the NFL to be favored in every game this season. I look at this, I go, Packers have struggled to stop the run. That should help Indy. Indy's defense is really good, so this could be a very tough test for Aaron Rodgers. I really like Frank Reich as a head coach, but man, I hate to pick against Rodgers. I I just it's it's tough to do. You're getting he's getting points. I don't love this game from a betting standpoint. Here's a stat for you though, Barry. Packers are ten and zero against the spread in their last 10 games in which they didn't cover the previous game and they were such a big favorite last week against Jacksonville that they didn't cover, but they won. With no fans, it's more of a neutral field. I'm going to lean towards Rodgers and the Packers. How do you see this one? Uh, I I think that, um, first of all, I would not bet this game. I would steer clear of this one. It's a tough Um, one. I think the Colts can shut down uh, Devontae Adams enough because they do a very good defense. Uh, to really make it uncomfortable for Aaron Rodgers, so I I lean toward the Colts winning this game, but it, it you know this is one of those games that it's no surprise if either team wins. I think the game's a a, a little more important to the uh, Colts than it is to the Packers right now. Uh, the Packers are certainly barring crazy injuries headed for the playoffs and headed to win their division, and you know Indianapolis is neck and neck with uh, Tennessee. Here's a matchup that. I don't know many people expected to be between two winning teams at this point in the season. We knew the Chiefs would be there eight and one. The Raiders are surprising some people at six and three. Chiefs are a seven point favorite on the road. And there was all this talk this week about the Raiders circling Arrowhead Stadium after they beat Kansas City in KC earlier in the season. Now, I ordinarily don't think any team needs any extra motivation. But Travis Kelsey is on the show later, and he's going to tell you that he feels an extra push because of that. KC's not going to lose to Vegas twice in a season. Chiefs have the better defense. They got that dynamic offense. Raiders' defense also has some COVID concerns. Andy Reid, here's a good stat, 18-3. and Most of these were in Philly after a bye straight up. 14-6-1 against the spread after a bye. So I love Mahomes and the Chiefs to roll in this one, win the game going away, covering that spread. How do you see it? Uh, well, number one, you don't bet against Andy Reid coming off of the uh, bye. That's the best record in NFL history coming off the bye, you know, with a lot of games played. Secondly, 
I think we're going to see the Chiefs uh, uh, riding a bus down the Vegas Strip in celebration <laughs> after this game, and I think it'll be a pretty significant win. I think they cover. All right, there's a tough game on Monday Night Football. Rams 6-3. and three. We talked about them already a little bit. The Buccaneers 7-3 and three coming off. They had the horrific performance against New Orleans, and then they came back and, and whipped Carolina. Tom Brady was sensational in that game. Tampa's a four-point favorite. They haven't looked good in prime time this year. Rams are traveling to the East Coast for, I believe, the fourth time now, and the last time it was in Florida, Miami beat them. They got such a good defense that I, I think they can keep Tampa's offense contained somewhat. I like the Bucks to win. That number, a four-point spread, is kind of high. If it was two, two and a half, I might lean towards the Buccaneers. I might take the Rams and the points in this one. Again, another one that's too tough to call. I don't like the game from a betting standpoint, but it's obviously a really good football game, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. How do you see it? Well, I know that uh, Bruce Arians is concerned that his um – 43-year-old quarterback has to stay up late on a Monday night to play uh, football. <laughs> he mentioned that this week, that they're changing some of the practice habits for the Buccaneers so that they feel that they're uh, a little more in tune when they get on the field on a Monday night. How about that? Uh, I think the Rams have the best secondary in, in the NFL, and they're going against some really good receivers on Tampa Bay, and I think that's the key matchup here. I think this is a close game. It could be one of the best Monday night games we've seen all year, you know, um, all year. And um, the last time Brady went against Goff, obviously the Patriots won the Super Bowl, and Goff was awful. But um, it's not that same kind of a matchup. I think this one's very close and could go either way. What do you think of Antonio Brown's chances of lasting the entire season? I I think he'll probably last the rest of this season with Tampa, but unless he shows a heck of a lot more, as they move along, I'm not sure he'll be back there next year. And the biggest concern with him is always the off season and being away from football and his off field problems. And I, I think that the Bucks are going to be very diligent about watching uh, how Brown might be uh, in the off season. But I think he might survive. But he's going to be the third or fourth option, or maybe even the fifth option for Brady the rest of the way. I I don't see him moving ahead of uh, any of those receivers or even ahead of Ronald Jones. New Orleans loses Drew Brees, and it's uncertain right now, maybe a couple-week injury. They got the uh, half-game lead against the Buccaneers right now, 7-2. and two. Bucks are 7-3, and three, but they beat them twice, so Tampa's going to have to finish with a better record. How do you think that injury to Brees is going to affect the Saints? Uh, that's, a, that's a huge question because – it's Jameis Winston coming in, and that's not like having Teddy Bridgewater come in. Mm. It's not someone who uh, can stick to the script, let's say, the way Bridgewater could. And obviously, Bridgewater went 5-0 and last year in replacing Brees. I like the Saints because they're at home, and they're playing the Falcons, who are, uh, you know, they played a little bit better, played a lot better, actually, under Raheem Morris, but I don't think that they match up all that well. Uh, I, I think the Saints can survive in this game without Breeze. I'm most interested to see how much Taysom Hill plays as a real quarterback in this game. Yeah, that, that's certainly going to be – you know he's going to get more snaps in a variety of different ways, but whether or not he's just lined up as a strict quarterback straight under center or in a shotgun is going to be 
Very interesting to see. Well, Barry, as always, man, good stuff and appreciate it. Look forward to chatting again next week. You bet, Rob. Thanks. Carson Palmer was a three-time Pro Bowl quarterback in 15 years with the Bengals, the Raiders, and the Cardinals. He threw for over 46,000 yards in his career before he retired after the 2017 season. Carson is involved in a project called Fill the Stadium, in which he and other players are trying to raise money for 70,000 children in need. So we talk about that, the quarterbacks on two of his former teams, Joe Burrow and Kyler Murray, and much more. Here's my conversation with Carson Palmer. Carson, you were drafted number one overall by Cincinnati. Didn't play your entire rookie season. Sat and watched John Kitna that year. Joe Burrow was drafted number one overall by the Bengals this year, and he's played right away. Have you watched him play, and what do you think of his performance? Yeah, I mean, I, I've saw, you know, I've seen a handful of their games, um, and I think he's really, really, really good. Uh, and I thought he was going to be really good watching him play at LSU. Um, you know, I followed followed him for for quite a while, uh, most of his last college football season at LSU, and I thought he was going to be a good pro, but. He's, he's really blown me away and, and blown away expectations I had for him because he, to me right now, he's playing like a top 10 quarterback in the league regardless of age and regardless of years of service. I mean, he is playing very maturely. Um, he's throwing the ball really accurately with people in his face. He's getting hit from every angle every time he drops back. He's not throwing the ball into coverage and kind of throwing those balls where you see it in the air and you're like, oh, no, and, you know, you kind of hold your breath. He's really played maturely and I think really exceeded my expectations thus far. Well, another one of your teams, the Arizona Cardinals, they got a really exciting young quarterback too. And Kyler Murray this weekend in their win against Buffalo with just an unbelievable, tremendous play. DeAndre Hopkins there at the end. Kyler's a little bit, he's got different skills, different talents, such an exciting kid to watch. What do you think of him? Yeah, he's he's really coming into his own. This is kind of that year, the year two is where you expect to see a a, a young quarterback make some mistakes. And he just he really he he protects the football. He doesn't do anything to put his his team in danger. Um, he uses his legs. We're really starting to, to see him gain confidence with how fast he is and how quick he is running the football. You didn't see a ton of it or you know, I, I, I felt like his rookie year, I didn't see him test his legs as much as I wanted. He's really using them now, and, and he's an absolute dual threat. He can throw the ball accurately down the field. You know, you saw that that game-winning Hail Mary rolling out to his left and just heaved it 55 yards in the air right on the money. I mean, it's been really, really surprising how well he's done in just his second year. As we look around the league and, and you see some of the, the guys who are having great years and, and some of the guys – I want to ask you about one who's struggling in particular because I'm in Philly and I get to see on a weekly basis Carson Wentz. And there's a lot that I see that's involved in that. There's play calling, there's injuries, there's young receivers, inexperienced, not necessarily running the right routes, the communication issues. When a guy has success like he did and then all of a sudden struggles and there's so much expectation and so much pressure on him, do you think that that could be he's got to take a step back? Do you think maybe he puts too much pressure on himself? How much have you seen out of Carson Wentz? I've seen him play a bunch. And, and um, you know, they're not a very good football team. 
at the end of the day, I know they just, you know, it seems like they just won a Super Bowl, but that was a couple seasons ago. You've got Alshon Jeffrey, who I don't think he's played yet. Deshaun Jackson came back for like four plays and he's gone again. Zach Ertz has been banged up. Um, they've had a carousel of running backs in and out. And I, I'm just seeing a guy that he's just trying to find a win and he's chucking the ball downfield. And, you know, you, you look back and go, well, he shouldn't have thrown that, but he's just trying to get, he's trying to get something going on offense. He doesn't have hardly any help. Their defense has been giving up a ton of points. So, you know, you can sit and look at the stat line, but, and, and say he's struggling and, and maybe he's a bust. I've heard all the talk, but when you're a quarterback and your top two targets, your X and your, and your Z starting receiver have not been on the field hardly at all. Your bet, one of your best tight ends in the league, Zach Ertz has been banged up. They've been a, a, also a carousel up front. I mean, the, you know, the, from left tackle to right tackle, it just seems like a guy is down every week on the offensive line and somebody's coming back up from injury and out of shape. And, you know, just all the different um, issues they've had offensively with health. Um, I'm just seeing a quarterback that's down 24 to, to 10 and just trying to find something, trying to find somebody to make a play for him. You know, you can sit there and go, well, he threw a pick or he had a fumble. Um, but when you're, when you're playing, you know, down and, and the opposing team has a lead, you've got to do something. You've got to try to squeeze a ball in downfield. You've got to hold the ball for a split second longer in the pocket and try to make something happen. Unfortunately, he's had some fumbles that have happened in those scenarios, but it's either that, or he just chucks it out of bounds on third down and punts and they lose by 20. So, I mean, I, I, I understand the, the frustration and, and the issues that the Philly fans have with Carson, um, but right now he's just trying to find a win and he's not on a very good football team. I mean, he, he's getting off the bus every week going, man, walking into the stadium going, man, I got to play my best game ever to, for us to have a chance to win. And he's going out there and he's trying to make things happen. And unfortunately they're just bad enough where things haven't gone their way. I look around and I see Tom Brady still going at 43. Drew Brees is plus 40 and he's still going you're 40 years old. You've been retired now for a couple seasons. Have you ever thought about like, oh man, I could have still been doing this or you knew your time was, your time was up and you got so many other things that you're involved in. Yeah, I probably, you know, physically, uh, I could have played one more, maybe two, but I just, my body was tired. My body was hurt. And mentally I, I was ready for new challenges and, and ready for new things. You know, 15 years was, um, you know, obviously everybody wants a, a Super Bowl ring and, and I don't have one. I don't own one. And I gave it a shot for 15 years. Um, but in my last year, you know, I, I really started hearing Father Time talk to me and I had some neck and some back and some elbow issues and just, you know, I, I definitely could have gotten another one in. But that would that that's what it would have been is getting one more in. You know, when it, when it came down to it, my, my family was ready for me to move on. I was tired of missing kids' games and practices and um, just all the things that that come. We, we've got four kids, and there's a lot of fun and excitement and um, things that I missed out on. What is it like watching football now? And for most part, stadiums are empty. If there are any, it's up to five thousand, six thousand fans. It's different. We're noticing a trend where this year more teams, the road teams entering week 10, had a winning record. And obviously you don't have to deal with crowd noise as a quarterback. You don't have to deal with any of that stuff for the most part. So, one, how different is it as a spectator and how much of an advantage would it be 
do you feel as a quarterback on the road playing against teams where you don't have to deal with that? It's it's a massive advantage to go into just part of the deal. And both teams have to deal with the elements. But when it comes to crowd noise and communication, it is so vital to be able to get up to the line of scrimmage and change a play or change a snap count, whatever it may be. So that's ineffectively, that, that's gone. That advantage the, that a home team has. Um, but just from a, a fan standpoint, I miss, I miss, you know, the crowd, the scan of the crowd with the, you know, the, the crazy guy with his face painted and, you know, <laughs> dressed up in, in uh, Kansas City Chiefs gear, whatever it may be. I, you know, you miss that as a fan. And I miss seeing that kind of panoramic of, of a stadium right after a touchdown or right after a big play. So it's, it's been really odd and really weird. And just talking to buddies that are still playing, the first couple of weeks are weird and odd, and then you're just used to it. Carson, fill the stadium is an incredible initiative, and it's trying to – the goal is to help 70,000 children and their families over the next 12 months, and, and that's roughly, you know, 70,000 children. That's what you would fill a football stadium with, and they're hoping that people who would spend money to attend a sporting event this year, but you can't because of COVID, and now we're seeing more lockdowns uh, coming, especially here in the Northeast, up in Philly. They're going to no more fans in the stadiums starting this week and they're hoping that people would give that money towards or try and support at-risk children tell me about how you got involved in this and what it means to you to be involved in this initiative well i got involved originally by reaching out to to steve stintrum um, a former nfl player and now the head of uh, pao professional athletes outreach and i just reached out to him you know saying hey man i know you have a bunch of kids and you've done some mission work I want to take my family on a mission trip. And then he had connected me with a gentleman named Ken McKinley, who works for Compassion International. And we had a trip planned. We were, you know, talking about, you know, where we're going to fly into, who's going to pick us up, and, um, where we were going to go, what kids we were going to visit. We had adopted, each one of my kids had adopted a child, and we were going to try to go and visit as many of them as we could. Um, and then COVID hit and obviously put all travel um came to a home. And so I had just been talking with Ken. I'd been talking with Steve and Steve and um, a couple other gentlemen came up with this idea of, you know, with COVID, all these stadiums are empty. What if we can virtually put a child from all of uh, a disadvantaged child from all over the planet in a stadium because these stadiums are going to be empty. What if we could raise money to fill this stadium with uh, essentially with kids um, and how it works is basically a, a family of four would spend roughly 500 bucks to go to a Chargers game or a Cardinals game, whatever it may be. When you talk about a husband, a wife, and their two kids going and hot dogs and Cokes and, and soft pretzels, whatever it would be. Well, because we're not spending that money as fans going to these games, we can essentially, we can adopt a child uh, for the entire year. And these kids have nothing. These kids don't have food. They don't have shelter. They don't have clothing. So that $500 basically sustains a child for the year. It gives them the food, the shelter. Um, and it also spreads and, and teaches kids about God and teaches kids the Bible. And so uh, it's a really exciting time. I mean, I know fans aren't in stadiums, but this is a great way we can give back and help people in, in other in other countries and kids in other countries that literally have next to nothing. Um, and we can help support them for an entire year. Carson, man, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.
Travis Kelsey is not only one of the best tight ends to ever play the position in NFL history, he's one of the most entertaining characters. Travis and a few other players have partnered with Old Spice in their program to increase high school graduation rates in underserved communities. Travis talked to students this week about Black Boys, a film executive produced by Malcolm Jenkins. We chat about that, his thoughts on the Raiders, and so much more. Here's my conversation with Travis Kelsey. Travis, you guys are 8-1, and one, Steelers are 9-0. and oh. You're not going to get a chance to play them in a regular season. How important is it for you to try to get that top spot? Because this year, only one team is going to get a bye. Yeah, I mean, it makes it that the that much more important to to do your job throughout the season. And uh, unfortunately, we were, we've lost to the Raiders um, in a game that me personally, I think we should have uh, figured a way to, to win it, but um, – figured out a way to win it. But at the same time, you know, hats off to them uh, in our previous matchup. And uh, we get another opportunity to, to get after them again this week. And uh, just got to take it week by week and um, and just take care of business. Well, you mentioned that game coming up against the Raiders. Apparently, and I'm sure you've heard by now, the bus ride that they took, the victory lap around Arrowhead Stadium after the time, your only loss after they beat you guys this season, has become somewhat of a story. Andy Reid said it's not his style. I covered his entire career in Philly. I know it's not Andy's style. He's loosened up a little bit, but he's still you know, kind of a, a stoic kind of guy. You like to have fun. So what did you think of the whole thing, the bus ride, the victory lap? Does that even matter to you? Uh- like I said, hats off uh, for getting the win. You can do whatever you want, you know, after the game. It's it's up to you guys. They want to, you know, circle around the stadium one more time in the airplane. Be my guest, man. They uh, they came in and they, they got after us at our home, and uh, we got to do better. We have to do better, and it's on us to, to make sure that, you know, that doesn't happen again. A lot of football players will tell me if you need any extra motivation or bulletin board material, you're in the wrong profession. You're already in trouble if, that's, if all that kind of stuff matters. You kind of feel that way? Um, I think something like that could kind of get you excited to play them again. I'm not going to sit here and say that it doesn't. Um, but at the same time, I'm not looking for it. I, I'm looking at the film that I uh, that I put out there from the last game, uh, knowing that I wasn't as accountable as I should have been. And I, I, I want to be better and I want to get better for my teammates and coaches because of it. And uh, and that's just my mentality on, on week in, week out football. Is, you know, you got to eliminate the distractions. And uh, unfortunately, at times, the media can be a distraction. And, uh, and you know, you just have to make sure that you got the, the right mindset going into it. You and your brother, Jason, have both been all pro. He got his Super Bowl ring in 2017. You got yours last year. What was the relationship like growing up, Travis? Were you guys ultra competitive? And how close are you now? Do you check in on how the Eagles are doing, especially when you're on a bye week like you were last week? Oh, yeah, man. I catch every single minute of uh, Eagles football whenever I'm uh, I'm I'm able to, um, and uh, I got I got a little bit of gang green in my heart. Uh, shout out to the Philly world, um, but at the same time, um, growing up, it was everything you could think of from, uh, and it was every second of the day. You know, if we if we both got a free day, it usually started uh, with something in the house, like uh, cards at breakfast or uh, or playing chess at the table uh, while we were watching TV, um, to going outside and. And playing a game of just, you know, football, to, to basketball, to baseball, to making a game in the backyard and, and, and having fun with those type of things. Just any way that we could find a way to compete, uh, we were up for it. And uh, we enjoyed um, we enjoyed the process uh, through it all. Who gave the better parade speech? 
I'm gonna give that to Jason, man. He's uh, he's got a way with words, man. Um, as I'm sure uh, everybody knows by now, but it, he um, he's a very passionate guy, and 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 every bit of his passion and his love for his teammates showed on that day. And uh, I was, I mean, I could could have been couldn't have been more proud of the brother to see him at the top of the mountain winning a Super Bowl and uh, and and showing love to all, all of his teammates, man. It just shows you what kind of guy he is. Travis, I've spoken to a few other players who've partnered up with Old Spice to visit schools in underserved communities and talk about the Black Boys film. I know you've done that now. What did you first think of the film and why was it important to you to be part of this? Um, well, uh, it's important for me because of um, just my upbringing. You know, the people around me that I love, that I, that, that I cherish as friends, uh, as family, uh, people that I call family of color. And it's... Uh, it's been something that I've seen as a kid, uh, and it, and it's very um, it's very upsetting. And 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 I think what the Black Boys documentary has done is it showed honesty and, and how vulnerable um, it can be. And uh, and and, it, and it's just a beautiful way to get people to start to discuss the matters that are at hand uh, social socially in this world. And uh, I think it's a great way to start that conversation. How important is it for yourself for someone who's white? to be out there doing this, to be talking about it, to be on the forefront, to be participating and and telling other people to have these conversations. I think it's uh, it's very extremely important. People that I love that are that are a minority descent whether it's African American, uh, Indian, Hispanic, even the Jewish population, but I think specifically in this instance it's it's especially with what's going on socially, uh, the social justice matters that we've had at hand over the uh, the really the course of time. But recently, it's starting to become more of a discussion. And uh, with that being said, um, there's going to become an uncomfortable time between uh, two different races that feel two different ways. And, and I think it's it's my job as a white man to or as a white male to be able to step up and uh, and say, listen, something is wrong here. How we are viewing uh, the African-American people is wrong. How we're treating African-American people is wrong. And uh, and there needs to be something that's done about that. Travis, I want to ask you, I know you just signed a new contract and you have plenty of football left, but have you thought about life after the NFL? I know you got to play an astronaut recently, uh, so maybe acting, uh, maybe in your victory speech, in your parade speech, it sounded like you, you used a couple WWE wrestling references. Would you go that route like kind of Gronk did for a year before he came back? Like, um, What would you do? I, I couldn't tell you what's in the future for me. Um, I know that I'm taking it day by day in this football um, I know the, uh, being on, on screen talking about football is something that comes genuine. So you might see me do something like that. Um, I played a astronaut or a wannabe astronaut in Moonbase eight on Showtime. Um, probably not going to be an astronaut anytime soon based off of that, uh, or an actor. Um, but we'll see, we'll see where life takes me, takes me. Um, I'm just, uh, I'm fortunate to be where I am right now and having the, uh, the opportunities that I've been given. What's it like playing with Patrick Mahomes? You ever sit back and, and just watch him and you're in awe, amazed by the things he does? Man, you can't. You gotta you gotta keep trying to match his level of play, man. He just he he ups the 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 success of everybody around him because of how talented he is and how hard he works. Um he's aware and, and very uh, understanding of, of a lot of situations that happen on the football field. And uh, when you have a player that can, you know, athletically make all the plays as well as mentally be prepared for anything that comes his way, um, he naturally just makes everyone better. 
and you can't get caught up in, you know, the wow aspect. You just got to know that that guy is going to make some crazy plays and that we got to get the ball downfield because uh, it can it can turn into the the movies real quick if you want to start admiring uh, his talent on the field. How would you describe Andy Reid? I, I mean, I know Big Red. I know the kind of guy he is. But for those who, who just don't know, who don't get to see him, uh, he's been doing this over 20 years, finally got his ring. I know that meant so much to you guys to be able to give him that championship how would you describe not the coach but the guy? Man, um, he's almost got a almost like a father figure uh, kind of role in the, in the building, and it's because everyone everyone loves him so much. I mean, he's 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 got an unbelievable way of of getting the best out of everybody. That is relating to all different aspects and all different forms of life, and that's what's beautiful about this this game is you you bring in all these different forms of life and different walks of life. And they have to play together. This this game is not one with one guy. I mean, you can't you can't even say. I mean, if you look at the Arizona game that just happened, the Arizona Bills game, it took an entire team all the way down to the last play, uh, and and even then, it took a couple guys to make that thing shake. And it that's it, the the beauty about the game is that uh, that it, it takes everyone. I think Coach Reed does an unbelievable job of relating to everybody and getting the best out of everybody. And uh, he's the ultimate leader. Travis, man, thank you. I know you got to run. You got a lot to do. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Oh, shout out to Old Spice and the 10-year commitment that they have to increase high school uh, graduation rates with uh, young black males, man. It's uh, it's an unbelievable deal to be a part of. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. You know it. Time for my final thoughts. Social media, especially Twitter, is an absolute cesspool of negativity. It gives the faceless, the nameless trolls a platform to spread hate, harass people, harass athletes and others with vile, nasty comments. And it's too bad because there's so many positive uses for social media. But unfortunately, there are those out there who derive their joy out of being hateful. And that's always going to happen. There's always going to be a segment of people who ruin things. I certainly didn't expect, though, this week to see the Minnesota Vikings post a photo of Nick Foles on the ground with Vikings players celebrating and the words bear down. This was on their Twitter after the Vikings beat Chicago 13-9 Monday night, and Nick Foles was carted off the field with what appeared to be, at the time, a very scary hip injury. Now, it turns out that the injury isn't major, and he's day-to-day. But whoever posted that, whoever put that post on the Vikings' Twitter at that time, and the bear-down caption had no way, no way at all, of knowing that Foles wasn't seriously hurt. He was down on the ground. He was in obvious pain. He needed a cart to leave the field. Now, I know that the photo that they used of Nick was not the one in which he was injured, not that play. And the bear down reference is to the Bears fight song. But that's not the point. To do that in a game in which Nick Foles was carted off the field, it was disrespectful, it was classless to use any photo of Nick Foles on the ground with that specific post. Nick Foles deserves an apology from whoever runs the Minnesota Vikings Twitter. That's it for this week's AP Pro Football Podcast. Thank you to Travis Kelsey. 
Carson Palmer and Barry Wilner. Please take a minute to subscribe to the show on iTunes and wherever you get your podcast. Also, share and leave a review and check out our college football writer, Ralph Russo, and his AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. Until next week, I'm Rob Motti reminding you, make a difference, be a blessing.